Greetings, fellow kinklings. We're your hosts, Jen and Eden. And today we're going to be talking about something that we've been working on super hard for like two and a half years with Mistress Cyan, and that is the High Protocol Revival Project. Hello, and welcome to the Case for Kinky podcast. This podcast discusses adult topics, so if you are offended by adult topics or are under the age of 18, please stop listening now. Also, while Miss Jen is a therapist, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not to be taken as personal therapy for you. She is not your therapist. And if she is your therapist, just remember that what she says only technically counts in your private sessions. Hi, Miss Jen. Hi, Eden. You have a cat on your lap. I am surrounded by floof. I know. It's like you don't even need pants. You can just wear a cat on each leg. (laughs) You're just done. Well, Fubu is next to me, not on me, but... Echo does take up a large portion of my uh, my my legs I and your say. life. At least my life, <laughs> oh, my a large portion of my life. So, what are we talking about today? High protocol revival. Are you sure? Because you seem confused. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, right? That is correct. Okay, yes. yay! What do I win? <laughs> like the bare minimum participation award is what you win on that. <laughs> Okay, no, but for real, today we're talking about the High Protocol Revival Project, um, which is something that we got started on about two and a half, almost three years ago. Um, But more importantly, we also just in general want to talk about High Protocol, why we like it, why it's important, um, and uh, what's going on with that in the scene right now. So first, I think it is worth going over basic definitions before we begin this this episode. Um, the biggest question we get is essentially what is the difference between high protocol and other forms of protocol and how do you know high protocol when you see it? It's fancy. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> – dictionary.com defines high protocol as fancy. Fancy. Um, formal. Fancy pants. I mean that's actually one of my favorite responses is <laughs> you do know it when you see it. And it's kind of funny because it's kind of true. Like – it is hard to define and we are going to do our best to talk about the definition and like give a definition of this. But generally speaking, high protocol is noticeable because it is not at all the normal behavior you see on the everyday streets or even in dungeons at this point. Um, high protocol is um, deliberate behavior designed to create an altered headspace um, and it is not... Um, it's not convenient. Well, so it's not meant Way to, to be. Sell it. <laughs> high protocol is not meant to be convenient. It's meant to be intentional. Um, I mean, the first thing that pops into my head, honestly, is weirdly the royal British family. Um, I'm sure that they live a rather high protocol existence with no kink involved. Do I mean, that's a big. A t- don't go on a tangent about the royal family, please. I- I'm not going on a tangent about the royal family. I'm just saying that they observe a lot of customs that are not only archaic, but they're also not convenient or easy. They're meant to be so incredibly minute and detailed that they actually define your social class and exclude people because they don't know the customs. And I think high protocol in the kink scene may have felt exclusive for a long time. And even today, I think people sometimes approach high protocol feeling like it's scary because all of these nuances and these details have to be learned and practiced in order um, for it to be a true high protocol environment or to feel like a high protocol environment. You basically have to teach uh, new social rules, um, mannerisms, and expectations, and then you have to uphold them. And that requires either immersion in the culture or practice. When you're talking about high protocol in a social setting, right, um, in, a, in a public setting, and then there's high protocol in personal dynamics, um, I think one thing I wanted to say about high protocol well, protocol in general, but certainly high protocol, is that it creates a mindfulness around your your actions, your words, whatever it is that, that it includes. I like that. I like that word a lot. Mindfulness is perfect. I think I was thinking of like intentionality, but mindfulness is really where it's at. Um, so you mentioned before, high protocol is fancy or uh, formal. It's fancy. High protocol typically involves... People being as polite as possible, as aware of posture, as upright, as elegant looking as possible. Um, And there's also um, usually the use of positions. I feel like one of the most visual and obvious signs of high protocol, besides um, perhaps being dressed a certain way, 
right? The aesthetic is how you hold your bodies in high protocol and um, also how you speak. So we're really looking at patterns of speech, outward appearance like clothing and physical body presentation, and also a mindfulness or a headspace that is designed to create high protocol as we know it. Um, I still am very unsatisfied, though, with the definitions we've offered. I feel like we are legitimately doing the definition of pussyfooting around giving this definition. So let me pause for a second and gather a definition really fast, and we'll read out what that is. A set of customs and rules about how you speak, dress, and behave that create a mindfulness intended to elevate the power exchange between A dominant and N S type or many dominants and many S types. So either in private or group settings and high protocol, anything that contributes to that and that is regulated by rules and that involves uh, altering the headspace and creating a mindfulness that basically hyper focuses and elevates DS or power exchange. That is high protocol. Typically when we talk about high protocol, I think people just end up talking about expressions, external expressions of it. Yeah, I think it may come across as blurry because it's a broad stroke definition for something that is subjective. And the way that it looks, how you would describe it to someone else will change based on the couple, based on the party, you know, based on the situation. So... You know, that blurriness comes in because how it manifests could be a hundred different ways. What's funny, though, about this is that even though it is subjective and it can be blurry, it's almost like we can still talk about things that generally are included in most high protocol spaces and things that generally are not. And we can absolutely talk about like inappropriate things that wouldn't belong in a high protocol space. And so we can still discuss these concepts, but it's really important to understand as we talk about this today Um, that there is actually no set rule book or handbook or, you know, Bible for how to do high protocol. It really does change from dynamic to dynamic and from space to space. And we encountered the frustration of this in researching um, when we were creating the high protocol revival project because we realized we're going to have to construct a manual that makes decisions and that includes rules that are arbitrary that apply to our space and Um, it's not going to be perfectly congruent with everybody's dynamics, you know, but what we tried to do for our space at least is make it high protocol, um, without stripping away people's ability to engage in personal high protocol dynamics. But it's true. I mean, when we started the project, we knew, I mean, the whole first like year was talking about the construction of it with people who were interested in becoming members getting feedback and then weeding through that feedback to figure out, okay, these are some adjustments we can make and here's some other things that we will not adjust on and that's because we are creating this with our ideal of what high protocol might look like, right? Well, and this is kind of funny. So I I mentioned, you know, that high protocol can feel very um, scary for some people because it's an inherently exclusive environment. And by exclusion, I mean that at the base definition, there are rules and regulations um, designed to create a hierarchy that is acknowledged and upheld by those present. And so you have to be willing to follow these rules and you have to be able to fit into this hierarchy consensually in order to be in that space. So the space is exclusive in the sense that people who don't want to observe rules that are set for that space and people who don't want to observe um, the headspace or don't want to engage in the headspace, they're not going to be comfortable there. Um, And beyond that, there are aspects of high protocol that turn some people off. And depending on how many rules there are for a given high protocol space, um, it becomes more and more and more exclusive because it inhibits more and more people from from participating. So when we created the High Protocol Revival Project, we had to strike a balance between what do we need to include for this to feel regulated enough and um, hierarchical enough to be high protocol, and what can we leave off to include the most number of people? And we really aimed to be as inclusive as possible while still feeling high protocol. Not every space does that. 
many high protocol spaces are deliberately designed to be difficult to access um, or, or unfortunately are designed to exclude groups of people. And that's one of the big things that we wanted to change is turning high protocol into something that people have an easier time getting into if they wanted. Um, and that's what our group is really designed for. Yeah. Our biggest part of that was also around being more inclusive in terms of gender, things like that, and really having the focus on the high protocol itself. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about this. Let's talk about what generally speaking is seen in many high protocol spaces and, uh, what generally is not. Let's talk about that. The most easy thing to see in your mind's eye, typically for most people, when you think of high protocol is how people are dressed. When we think of high protocol, we kind of see people in our minds typically as dressed to the nines. Um, There also may be people who see D-types all wearing really fancy clothes and S-types being completely naked. There's usually a difference in hierarchy shown even in clothing. So even if the S-types are clothed, many people will fantasize about or imagine S-types all wearing cuffs and collars or things like that. There's also a uniformity of appearance in most people's minds when they think of high protocol. So it's not, you know, a hodgepodge or a carnival of colors and um, outfits. It's all people who, generally speaking, look like they belong to that environment. And it even might be color-coded. One of the pleasures of High Protocol is having the freedom to regulate things even down to, you know, wearing a tie and a suit and uh, glossy shoes. And you have to do that. You know, um, it's one of the fun things about high protocol and one of the fetishes I think about, about high protocol is being able to micromanage and, um, create really, really strict rules for this environment so that it becomes as elevated and, um, pristine as possible. There's a uniformity to that and a sense of belonging, but also a sense of respect. Um, I think when you, show up to a high protocol event if somebody what like let's say let's say that the dress code was either not required or it was just sort of a suggestion or or (laughs) or assumed or whatever and that you weren't kicked out for it right (laughs) and I feel like if you were at a high protocol event and somebody walks in in shorts and flip-flops it would probably it would feel like this person does not respect this space in the way that we are presenting it. This person doesn't respect, you know, the not the idea of, but high protocol in in the way that we are setting the stage for high protocol. And it would feel kind of disrespectful for somebody to show up in that in that way of dress, right? Well, also, it brings to mind the word you use, mindfulness, but also effort. High protocol is not meant to be the easiest thing in the world to do. It's meant to be effortful. It's sort of like almost how you can write a handwritten note and say happy birthday and hand it over, or you can research that person's favorite food and find the best restaurant in your area that makes that food and you can get that food and you can go hand deliver that food and you can put it on a plate and make it for your dominant. It's the difference between really showing that you care through every tiny action you take versus really showing you don't give a shit and you just rolled in, right? In high protocol environments, the goal is to be as effortful and as mindful as possible, typically, with, you know, some range of freedom in, in that, depending on the space and what the rules are. But yeah, so the first thing that you would notice in most high protocol is that people look a certain way and they design that on purpose to be effortful and mindful and to be as usually visually pleasing and aesthetically consistent as possible. In our space, we do ask people to dress formally. There is an actual color code as well. We picked the most basic colors, which is grays, blacks, and whites. Um, we sometimes will allow pops of color or we'll say tonight you can wear blue or whatever so that we'll, we'll switch it up if people want to. Um, but S-types are expected to arrive dressed that way. And then once the bell is rung, they are expected to disrobe to a certain extent. And we don't force S-types to be completely naked. We actually give a range of things that are acceptable, but there is some level of disrobing. So by the time we're starting the main event and that bell has been rung, you can walk into the space and visually see who is an S-type and who is a D-type by their clothing alone or lack thereof. And 
S-types are required to wear collars in our space. And cuffs. And cuffs, yeah. What do you think about this in high protocol? So cuffs and collars, this I think has been something that in other high protocol events I've seen abandoned, if you will, um, due to pushback, right? Because they might be events that are open more towards like the public and they're looking to create, you know, a volume of attendees. And so you might see the hosts of those events kind of back down on the enforcement of cuffs and collars or just collars. Um, They might move to something that is, I want to say less controversial, but it's not about controversy so much as, you know, there's some people that have strong opinions about wearing cuffs and collars or collars specifically uh, for example, if they are not in a dynamic, right? Um, or if they are in a dynamic, but they have not received a caller from their D-type yet. Uh, or the D-type doesn't want their partner to wear a collar that they haven't, you know, officially given them. So there's a lot of, there can be a lot of pushback. And this we're just picking on one thing, but this was a major one. And for us, we decided that that, because we're not worried about an abundance of attendees, we're really more focused on creating a community of our own that do, um, share the same values. Yeah. I was looking for a better word than share, but, um, (laughs) but yes, essentially that's what I'm trying to say. Share the same values, um, and who were willing to, to do the things that we kind of laid out in, in our manual, our expectation. And so that was one of those things that it was like, nope, we're, we're sticking to this. This is something that even though we had a few people push back, the majority of people uh, were, were down for it. And it was something that we felt strongly about maintaining. Well, yeah. And, and you know, the, the cool thing about high protocols, so we're talking about generically what you will often see in high protocol spaces. And so far, you know, just in summation, we've talked about clothes being formal and and defined very clearly. And now we're talking about collars and cuffs. When you look at collars and cuffs, this is a really important part of BDSM culture and history. And it's not at all being lost. People definitely still use these things. But to not, for us at least, in our minds, to not include that as a a, a structure and a part of our system in the High Protocol Revival Project would be to basically say, we support the moving away from collars and cuffs and we one don't and two want to preserve that part of our culture in BDSM so we did include it but there that is a common thing you'll see in many high protocol spaces and many people imagine collars and cuffs when they think of high protocol Um, another thing that you'll see in general generic high protocol is the use of positions Um, so we'll definitely talk about positions and we have them in our dynamic Um, But it was really interesting when we were creating the High Protocol Revival Project to discuss what types of community-wide positions we wanted to teach and basically like enforce and which ones we wanted to leave alone. And we ended up only including basically like a small handful of positions um, and they were only the ones that were the most necessary so that when you're in the social environment, you can kind of visually read and understand body language. Um, and do you want to talk a little bit about speech in high protocol, just generic speech? What do you think that people would often think is high protocol when it comes to speech? I mean, I would think it would be similar to what we do, which is uh, S-types speaking in third person. Um, and just generally speaking, trying to, for, for anybody, right, D-types included, trying to have... I don't want to say elevated speech. I don't like it's not snotty. It's polite. But like having manners, being polite, not being as casual, I mm-hmm. guess, in, in your speech. Um, and again, it brings about a mindfulness, not only for the S-types. There's a lot of mindfulness when it comes to speech for the S-types um, because speaking in third person is not natural to us typically. Um, but for D-types too, I think because we are hearing the S-types speak in third person, it creates a mindfulness for the D-types as well um, to formalize their speech. Yeah, and you know, it's kind of funny. 
courtly behavior, which is just a weird phrase to utter in 2023, but courtly behavior. So like opening doors for people, being polite, um, just not being generally rude um, and just kind of that whole concept of how a knight would behave towards a lady or how a lady would behave towards a lord or whatever. I'm using very gendered concepts, but, you know, the point is these types of notions, um, even down to like throwing your jacket over a puddle so that someone doesn't have to walk into it. They're almost archaic forms of politeness, often expected weirdly enough in our culture from men towards women. But these types of ideas of um, what is that called? Chivalry. Mm-hmm. The chival- there's chivalry in high protocol, at least in my mind. When I think of high protocol, I think that there must be some el- element of chivalry going on. And usually from every direction, not just from D types to S types or S types to D types, but everybody's, you know, chivalrous kind, trying to uphold values. And and that's word, the word values, moral and ethical value. That is something that I don't know is inherent in everyone's mind when they think of high protocol. But for me, from the get-go, when I was researching it and drawn to it and helping to design this project, I felt like high protocol was inseparable from not only chivalry, but from some form of ethical and moral code of conduct. And that kind of led us to create our code of conduct for the high protocol revival. I don't know if everybody agrees that high protocol must in some way be paired with concepts like integrity, trust, respect, responsibility, etc. But when you look at even basic rules that we ask people to follow, like being polite, which is basically having honor and, and treating people honorably, or being on time, respecting time, respecting the rules, the word respect is right there. It seems like high protocol requires a standard of behavior that many would define as ethically high-minded, that we, for our project, just decided to codify. Um, And I think, you know, that's one of the best parts about our group, but also one of the best parts about belonging to any community, is this sense of sharing a belief of how we should be behaving and um, being able to practice and uphold that even in small settings. And I know for the High Protocol Revival, this is kind of more extreme because we're also – sharing a belief that we should look and act a certain way in this environment and speak a certain way and abide by these certain rules. But there is a sense of community and kinship that grows when you practice things like this in tight-knit settings. Um, And it's one of my favorite parts about High Protocol is, you know, finding a sense of community or creating a sense of community and not having it just be external, but having it be about what's underneath the surface. What's, what's, what's the emotion and the intentionality behind doing things like High Protocol? Yeah. I, that's what I love about our project too is, you know, you have like the reason that we decided to do the project as we have, as opposed to just starting a high protocol party, right? Which those are out there and there's a place for those. Absolutely. Right. There's a place for having high protocol parties that are for the general public. And that's awesome and amazing. Um, And what I love about our project was we decided it's not about just throwing a party. It's about creating this community, this, this feel of kinship and camaraderie and just shared values. Um, Because we've, we've started sort of, well, because it's a vetted membership based group it's not anybody can come in and join and everybody goes through a vetting process and has to do certain things besides just the vetting form that we have. You know, everybody has to attend at least one of our immersives. Generally speaking, once people have been vetted, people are coming to each event and all of the people who are becoming members are getting to know each other. And, it's a small enough group, which we don't we don't want to get too out of control huge because we really love the sense of the the intimacy of the group that that we're creating. And it is it's it's an intimate group in the sense that it's a smaller group. It's going to stay fairly small, even if we grow out to what is our maximum Um and so we can really 
make it unique and make it ours. And when I say ours, I'm not talking about the leaders. I'm talking about the community we're building. And I also love the fact that we built it while discussing everything with our members or with people who at least were interested in becoming members from the beginning because hopefully they feel like they also were a part of building it, right? And so you're that much more invested in maintaining a community that you feel like you had a hand in creating. So I really love that about our our group or our project as well. Yeah, you know, and it's been kind of it's been kind of a wild ride um because we've had a lot of ideas in our head about what we thought it would end up being or looking like and we found that there is a level of even within all of the structure and all of this rigid, rigidity in terms of how we expect one another to behave there is a desire to laugh together to talk together politely but in in party spaces you're still seeing human interaction and human socialization just in a more regulated um polite environment so the headspace is a warm one it is a welcoming one and um i don't think a lot of people suppose that's how it would be i think a lot of people imagine high protocol to be cold and aloof and um not inhuman but like again scary and uh, I have not found that to be the case in our environment. And it's it's really pretty impressive. Um, I do want to shift the conversation since we just kind of covered generically what you'll often find in High Protocol. Um, and then we got a little detailed about our project. Forgive us. Um, but I kind of want to talk about things that don't really belong in High Protocol spaces, generally speaking. Um, and this is kind of an uh, interesting side because I think that's one of the easiest ways to talk about High Protocol is what does it generally include and what does it generally not? Um what are some things that it generally doesn't include? I mean, I have ideas, but what do you think, Miss Jen? That high protocol doesn't include? Yeah. What is not high protocol? Like, what would you say this does not have a place in most high protocol environments? Douchiness. Yeah. Okay. That's valid. Let's open that up a bit. <laughs> um, being a douche uh, or being rude, disrespectful, mm-hmm. arrogant. Yeah. Just kind of an asshole. Right. Why not? Because I think some people would be surprised to hear that, unfortunately. Uh. Yeah, well, I think some people have this idea. I mean, I got to put it out there and and blame D types um, because that's normally who you're going to hear this from is people have this idea of like, oh, high protocol. I'm a D type. I can just boss people around um, or boss S types around or I can just demand things without appreciation. And consent is assumed usually Mm -hmm. by people like that or they think that in high protocol spaces, consent is always assumed. Um, And so we we don't agree with any of that. (laughs) Um, We look at our space as being one of respect and it doesn't matter what side of the slash you're on. Everybody should feel respected. Um, So, yeah, I mean, you talk about protocol. One of the first things people talk about is manners. And I don't know. I don't understand why people, why some people, um, just assume that that goes out the window because of what side of the slash you're on. It's just really annoying. Um, but yeah, so being being a douche, being an ass, I don't care what gender, how you, how you identify, like anybody can be a douche. Um, I will stay, say stereotypically it's people on the D side of the slash who feel this. They be douching. They be douching. There you go. Surprise. It's not an advertisement. I think it's just the shout outs in the center of the episode. What? That's Changing crazy. It up. I know. Getting your attention. Exactly. We wanted to go ahead and shout out our amazing team and highlight the things that they do for us. Um, I'm talking, of course, about Lena, Tussled, and Sid. Lena has been with us from the very beginning when we were a YouTube channel, a struggling, anemic YouTube channel, <laughs> might I add. Um, but she's always been a huge supporter. She jumped onto our Discord and helped us manage um, – running that basically and she does all of our podcast chat questions and just is a great moderator on there and a good friend we really appreciate lena and everything that she does we also have sid sid actually built not only the discord server but our website ksforkinky.org um he's a genius and he's wonderful and he runs his own group called socal kink so you should definitely check that out because it's kind of a badass place finally we have tussled tussled is the bomb uh, they do. Oh my god! Uh, they do all of our notes for our episodes, and they publish these notes. Uh, notes called 
Tussled's Cheeky Notes. You can find them on our Instagram, and also you can find them posted directly onto our Discord. Tussled also has helped us to um, analyze just certain, like, stats for the for the channel. and it helps us with research and things like that. Yeah, and uh, they'll be helping us with some content direction and, and content ideas. So we really appreciate Tussled's support as well. And, um, of course, Pudding. Pudding. Pudding gets a shout-out every time because she... Is amazing. And a call me kinkling. And a call me kinkling on the Patreon. Which is our top tier. If you're interested in being a patron, we would really appreciate it because it is the only way that we get income from this podcast at this time. There are tiers all over the board. So even if you only have a buck a month that you want to throw our way, we have a tier for you. at a dollar. Yeah. Um, We hope that you'll consider helping us out there. And if nothing else, hit that five-star review button. It is makes a world of difference and we would really appreciate um to hear from you and tell all your friends about us yeah (laughs) all right without further ado back to the episode i think you actually play music you don't have to go bloop 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 i like to do it okay um so yeah that's definitely one thing that is not acceptable um and on the other side of the slash i would say to go with that would be well, obviously, an S-type being douchey or disrespectful. You're going to say the word that I want to say. Brat. Yep. Yeah. So this is an interesting concept. I really want to talk about bratting and I protocol for a second. Because we're um, not against bratting or brats, generally speaking. No. And also, I want to give some examples for a second. So there is a way to be playful in high protocol as long as you know the individuals, both D and S, and you're not disrupting the overall headspace. So there is a way to include playfulness, and I think that does surprise most people to hear, but it's also a very slippery slope in high protocol. You really need to be careful, in my opinion, um, in high protocol being too overly playful because it can get out of hand quickly, you know? Um, So here is an example, Um, just a generic example. If you go into a high protocol setting, it might surprise you to discover that while technically following most of the rules – you can still brat. And I gave an example of this in um, a recent episode where I talked about uh, what the intention is behind when I hold Miss Jen's cup. I am a cup holder for Miss Jen when she's on stage. And I can hold her cup while kneeling, palms up, cup raised to her, and be polite and respectful. And my intention can be to serve and to honor her and to honor our dynamic. Or I can do those exact same actions and make googly eyes, silly faces, weird comments. I can lower the cup when she reaches for it. I can jerk back. I can take sips of the cup and drink it all down so there's nothing in there. And then I hand it to her and she has no water left. These are all hilarious things that have never happened and that I would never do. They she's making not hilarious. She's making some angry faces over there. Yep. I would nope. never, I would that's, never that's, do it. That's an example of crossing the line. Yes. Because I like me some bratting, but no. Well, so first of all, there's a reason I've never done it. Yeah. I typically... <laughs> only brat in my dynamic as much as my dominant finds enjoyable and will allow it is a consensual bratting um but i do know don't fuck around on stage um this is not even in a high protocol environment this is i guess it's a high protocol expectation between the two of us but the reason i bring it up as an example is that even in a high protocol environment if your intention is to thwart that space or to find ways to use loopholes you're being an ass I'm sorry, but you're being an asshole. If you are going into a high protocol space, having read all the rules, understanding them, and then you are deliberately going to try to find ways to subvert them. Now, if you're joking about it in an outside environment of like, hey, can you imagine if I did this? That's not being an asshole. That's funny. We have friends all the time who are like, what if I came to the high protocol environment and I did this trick? And we'll be like, LOL, that's funny. Don't fucking do it. Like that (laughs) happens a lot because you can't help but think of loopholes I mean, I just described three different ones I could use for the cup holding protocol that all of them would get me in a lot of trouble and also would shame my dominant. I would never do that. But the point of it being, well, it would shame myself and that would shame me and I would feel ashamed that I had let my dominant down to clarify. But the point is, just because your mind works in mischievous ways doesn't mean that you take those mischievous actions in a high protocol space. Um, that being said, here is an example of consensual bratting on both sides of the slash and high protocol that just happened at our, um, at our most recent immersion. And it was not disruptive to the space, but it was playful. And I will tell you, playfulness in high protocol is especially enjoyable because it's a very delicate, um, a delicate thing that as long as it's not going too far is to a degree enjoyable. Um, 
one of our friends who is also a member of High Protocol had finished uh, his his juice pack, and it was crumpled and juiceless, and he was playing with it on the table. Um, this was not during a, an event. We don't have juice no. packs at the event. This, so was, this an was an immersion. immersion. <laughs> and our immersions are basically, more casual. Yeah. our immersions are run like semi-formal, semi-casual munches. Um, there are learning environments, and this is an appropriate place if you're going to be a little bit playful, a little more relaxed. You can be that way, but you're still expected to uphold the rules, and S-types and D-types alike are practicing the rules. Um, I, as the host, uh, really try hard to be in a high protocol headspace while model. still being – Try to model behavior. it. Try to model it. And so I will go around and I will check on every single DTEP in the room. Um, I usually give a little bit of time and space for other S-types to try to offer their service. And then from there, I begin to just serve all the D-types to make sure that they're all taken care of, their trash is removed, they have water, they have food, et cetera. So I walked up to our friend, who is a friend outside of the high protocol space, and I removed his empty drink pouch because it was trash and um i was not asked to do this which is potentially a faux pas on my part i was doing providing anticipatory service for this friend and my dominant called me over smirking and this is an example of a d-type technically (laughs) operating within her rights but deliberately applying a little bit of pressure to her s-type for fun and she said smirking in front of the other d-type our friend who was also smirking um you just accidentally removed something that he wanted he wasn't done with that yet. Yeah, he was playing with that. <laughs> so in this example, this is all completely appropriate in high protocol up to this point. This is a D-type giving another D-type shit for playing with his drink pouch. This is also a D-type giving her S-type shit for providing anticipatory service, which actually was would normally have been appropriate and thoughtful. But in this case, I was being given, given a hard time. Um, obviously, my appropriate response options are to apologize, to offer to fix the problem, etc. So I did both of those things and the d-type who was secretly sad that his toy had been taken away (laughs) didn't want to make a big deal out of it and was kind of being funny and still he's like no i'm fine i'm fine i'm fine but he was giving me a hard time so about five minutes before the end of the immersion um one of our friends finished their juice pouch and before she could throw it away i asked her hey is it okay if i borrow that for something she said, yes. I walked up to my dominant and I asked my dominant's permission. I said, may I please go give this empty juice pack back to our friend? And I made sure I asked this because I knew it was going to be a silly moment and I knew it was playful. Um, and I wanted to make sure my dominant thought it was appropriate. She gave me permission. She and everyone at that table watched me gleefully as I walked over and presented it to the D-type who had lost his original drink pouch. He cracked up, like he cracked a smile, tried to hold it together, accepted the drink pouch, played with it for a couple of minutes, and then called me back over loudly three minutes later, interrupting me from my conversation. Of course, I immediately went to his side because that is the rule of the space. And then I had to take that trash from him and throw it away for him. So all of this is super funny uh, in the context. It's all only funny because it's a high protocol context. This wouldn't be quite so funny if there weren't all of these rules and restrictions governing how I can speak and react and how... The D-types are meant to behave. It was all very polite. Everyone said please and thank you. And one could argue it was a form in some capacity of bratting on both sides. It was using the high protocol environment to create a deliberately funny scenario, right? But none of this is over the line. It didn't disrupt the space. um, And it also would probably not have happened at a party, which is interesting. It was appropriate in the immersive space because the immersive is slightly more low as a medium protocol. We practice our high protocols, but the mindset is more of a learning environment, right? More playful. It could have happened at a party depending on, you know, exactly what was going on. But this is like an example of nuance where it's not that bratting or playfulness is outright banned, in high protocol spaces, depending on the consent of everyone involved, the way that it's done and whether or not it's disruptive, um, it's more so the intention. Like my intention was not to be disrespectful or rude. It was to be playful. And my dominant was in on that joke and so was everyone else who needed to be. I was not disrupting that space. Um, And the laughter or the joke that erupted wasn't super loud or pulling focus off of the main purpose. But this is a nuance And we certainly don't advise that if you're new to a high protocol space, that you are trying to tow this line or playing with this boundary because this boundary does exist. You can tow it, but your goal when you're in high protocol spaces shouldn't be to find all the boundaries and push them as far as they can go. And that's kind of a a thing that we run into with people who are 
more inclined to be bratty. Brattiness, generally speaking, does not have a place in high protocol because it, it goes against the point. And the point is to be respectful and to honor the purposes. It's not to um, poke holes and to provoke. Your, your intention should not be, I'm going to provoke. It should be, I'm going to serve or I'm going to honor. I'm going to respect. Um, so this is kind of an interesting thing to talk about because um, when I – I have met some people and said, you know, you actually can technically brat or be playful in high protocol spaces. And it really does not jam well with some people who are very almost purist in their mindset. But when I say that, I really mean there is room for some playfulness. If you are with people who consent and you're still following the rules and you're not being disruptive, there's a little bit of room, but it's really small, really small, at least in our space. And there are some spaces that will not allow it, period. So I would definitely, if I was going to say to somebody who wanted to investigate a high protocol group in their area, I would say go and check it out, talk to people, and always assume, err on the side of caution, don't be joking around and being playful until you have a sense of what's okay and appropriate for that environment. Yeah, and I was just thinking about, you know, how we might have things that are quote-unquote more strict than other high protocol parties. There's also things that we don't do that some high protocol events will, um, that we decided against such as any D type having the ability to punish any S type, um, whether that's for bratty behavior or whatever. Um, that is something that some people have included in their high protocol space or events. Um, and that is not something that we decided to include. Well, and there's a couple of reasons for that, but I love that you added that in. The amount of freedom the D-types have to do certain actions to S-types in high protocol spaces is a huge point of concern, interest, contention, etc. Because it's, for us, the difference between people feeling safe to engage and safe to explore high protocol and people um, being forced to potentially compromise their comfort levels to engage in high protocol. Um, So I know for me, like I am not comfortable entering into a space where D types I don't know have a right to touch my body or do anything physical to me involving impact. I'm only comfortable doing that if I so trusted the D types in that space and I knew about their integrity and I personally believed that their integrity was sound and that they also had good skill set and knew how to hit and that they understood how hard was too hard to hit me and that they knew about my triggers and could be held accountable for my triggers. All of those things have to be in place for me to feel super confident confident or comfortable with walking into a room of even 10 D types that I'm not in dynamics with that I don't know and letting them put their hands on me. And that's my personal boundaries. And that's not even taking taking into account all of the other S types who might want to be in that space. So, you know, however, you will absolutely find spaces like that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and that's something to be something to be thinking about. I think it's a question that I would definitely ask if I was entering into someone else's high protocol spaces. What are D types expected to, to? What are S types expected to do? Uh, what are D types allowed to do? And how do you vet everybody? How do you vet? And um, let's. Is there anything else you wanted to say before we move on to things that we consider when we vet? Um, is there anything else that you think doesn't belong in high protocol? I mean. We mentioned casual clothes. You should not be showing up in flip-flops and t-shirts and jeans. Um, I think casual... Obviously, anything that does not adhere to the requirements of the event would be an issue. Yeah. I think um, casual behavior and speech in general doesn't really necessarily have a place in high protocol. And I think that's actually one of the hardest things to regulate. I'll catch S-types unintentionally um, becoming or reverting to a slightly more casual way of speaking or interacting when they're socializing with each other. And to a certain degree, we allow that because we want people to have a certain level of comfortability so that they're not so out of out of the zone of what they're familiar with that they feel alienated. And you're referring to when S-types are talking to other S-types. Typically, yeah. yeah. That's where I'll see it the most. And I'll also see um, more casual or relaxed language backstage. People who are helping to make the event flow, who are in the kitchen or who are um, – who are basically in service to the event. Back of the house. The back of the house. You'll see <laughs> S-types particularly dropping some other stuff back there. I'm not super strict with S-types in the back of the house. I'm the I'm the uh, weird alpha S-type role. I don't know if you have to add weird to it. You're I just, think it's... You're the alpha S-type. You're, th- the, you're the 
head S in charge. Yeah. I think it's weird <laughs> only because I I am a switch, but when I'm in my S-type headspace, I want to be in my S-type headspace. And unfortunately, at our high protocol events, I have a very unique vantage point and a very unique job. And when I say weird, I guess what I really mean is it's not always comfortable or easy for me because I'm always standing or straddling the line between being an S-type and being in charge of other S-types. So I am both basically a unofficial D-type and everyone's S-type when I'm at high protocol events. And it's a very interesting position to be in. Um, But I love being in it. And again, when I say weird, I guess what I really mean to say is it's certainly not comfortable or easy. It's a nuanced position. But I I tend to allow S-types to be more relaxed in backstage areas depending on how hard they have to be working and how much their focus is on their task. I might not ask them to sacrifice the focus on task to maintain speech. Yeah. But when they re-enter the space, I might help them or remind them, hey, make sure that you're transitioning. Um, but uh, I think I think it's not appropriate generally in high protocol spaces to be super relaxed in speech. And that's why we require the third person. As hard as that is, the third person speech for S-types forces S-types to maintain a certain level of self-awareness with their language and with their headspace. D-types don't have to use it, but I notice that D-types are either impressed or kind of very uh, receptive and aware of speech when they hear it coming out of an S-type's mouth. It forces D-types to remember to be polite and to remind themselves, oh, I am really a formal D-type. I have more, I almost feel like D-types are reminded of their responsibility when they hear S-types talking like that. And to make sure that we're using the correct titles for the S-types um, you know, and addressing them as we should be. Yeah. All that. Um, so we kind of covered a lot of that. I think, I think we did a good job of, about describing what this, what this stuff can be like. Um, let's talk a little bit about vetting for a second. Um, as we mentioned, this is definitely an exclusive space in the sense that for us, we allow the rules of the space to define who is allowed in there and who isn't. Um, so high protocol is inherently more exclusive than inclusive because by the nature of having rules and regulations alone, there are some people who will will refuse to be in that space or who will not be willing to conform to that space. We make it a point to be as inclusive as possible. So we do not discriminate on gender or sexual orientation, period. Uh, And there are a lot of high protocol spaces that do where it's only femdoms and male submissives or only male doms and female submissives, et cetera, et cetera, or only male doms, but any gender submissive or whatever have you. For some reason, a lot of events that are high protocol tend to fixate on gender or certain types of dynamics. We didn't want to do that. We think that's not a good reason to exclude people. Um, We only really uh, exclude people based on their behavior and their ability and willingness to uphold the rules of our space. Um, so first for our vetting, we require, uh, anyone who wishes to be vetted to attend one in-person immersion or class. And right now we're not offering classes. We, we only offer classes very rarely at this point. So the immersions are every other month. And the reason we do this is because the immersions are basically a low pressure taste of what a party will be like. It lets us meet people in person. It forces them to show up so that we can actually see them and interact with them, but it also forces them to vet us. They get to be in the environment and find out for themselves, is this something I want? Um, the immersions are not super expensive, but they are, I think it's like $15 to do the immersion. Unless and, you're already a vetted member. Yeah, vetted members can get in for $5. Um, but uh, the immersions are, are, are designed that way so that there's a small financial commitment um, so that we, we also know. Also because we provide snacks. <laughs> snacks and food and stuff, yeah. But it's so that we know that the people who are asking to be vetted are serious that they're really interested because there's a lot of effort that goes into um, the manual that we created. Our manual is getting longer and longer all the time, but no, no, in, in reality, it just, it just took like over a year, I think, to solidify this manual and in many meetings between myself, Miss Jen, and Mistress Cyan to make this manual what it is. Um, we don't want, we don't just hand it out to anybody. We do require people to personally request it. Um, and the only way to know to request it is to either, again, go to the immersion or to do an online discussion group that we offer every other month. Um, and you can request it from there. So first step first, you have to come to an in-person event to be vetted, or you need to be over two hours away, two hours or more away. And it has to be unreasonable for you to attend the immersion. 
but somehow reasonable for you to attend the party. Uh, you have to have a reason why you can't be at the immersion. And in that case, we require that you go to two online discussion groups and that you have a Zoom meeting with all three of us so that we can vet you. So those are the two ways you can be eligible for vetting. Um, and you have to have – you have a burden of, of basically proving that you couldn't make an in-person immersion in order to be eligible for the long-distance vetting process. Um, you also have to read the manual in order to to – complete the vetting process. You are required to agree to the terms and conditions of the manual, and you are required to uphold the values of our group and to do your best to follow all of the rules. We say do our best because this manual is over 30 pages long, and we expect mistakes to occur. But as long as you are acting in good faith and you are aware enough of the rules and practicing them, um, we, we can be not necessarily lenient, but very understanding if somebody makes an error in a high protocol environment. Um, but we do basically say you gotta, you gotta read this and you gotta be responsible for the contents of the manual. And then finally we have people fill out a vetting form and this vetting form, um, along with asking a series of questions about, you know, how long you've been in the scene, why you want to be in high protocol, um, what your handle is, et cetera. We require people to give us, um, two different vetting sources, of, of people who are not in relationships with them or not in houses or important tight-knit groups with them um, so that we can reach out and vet people before they come in. Um, these are just the most basic steps that we use for vetting. But there's more. Um, wait, wait, there's more. There's more. If we find somebody who has been vetted, has been you know accepted, but they come into the space and they are not respecting that space um, or they are always late or they're not attending at all uh they'll be spoken to given chances to improve but that could be grounds for being dismissed from the project and that is also a form of vetting because we we're always vetting each other right like we're always watching each other you're watching us just because you're an approved member doesn't mean you just get to be like okay well now i can fuck off it'll be fine yeah no we expect that you watch us as leaders to see how we're doing and we hope that people give us honest feedback if we're letting them down or if we need to improve we also do the same for our members and and we're very big on you know investing in our members so that also means investing in improvement and growth we don't want to dismiss members if we don't have to but part of being vetted is knowing that when you're in our space we watch your conduct and we, at the very least, expect you to be respectful and have integrity and basically follow our code. And we also are keeping an eye on if you're able and willing to uphold the rules, right? But another piece of this kind of ongoing vetting um, is that we hold our members accountable for their activities and behaviors outside of our space. And what that means is that if you are totally respectful and you're you know, an upstanding citizen in our environment and in our space – but we find out that you're in other kink and BDSM spaces doing some fucked up shit. We can and will speak with you and hold you accountable if accountability is necessary. Um, and that's a big thing. It's a big deal for us to, to do that because we feel that high protocol, especially the way that we practice it in our small community of high protocol practitioners, right? We feel that high protocol requires an enormous amount of trust and that people will only want to engage in this space and engage in this type of kind of in a way almost like social edge play. We feel like people are only going to want to do that if they can really trust in the people around them to to be supportive and to be safe. So if we believe that one of our members is not a safe person for one reason or another or somebody that cannot be trusted, we will likely remove them unless there is some way to work with them to improve them or we will remove them and allow them to repair their integrity over time and come back um, after showing signs of, of this improvement um, we have it all outlined in our in our manual but I guess the reason I wanted to bring this up is that high protocol is not only um, harder to practice and to maintain than casual social settings but it is riskier because people are really being vulnerable with each other and we require from our members to actually show higher integrity than an average person. We can't make people in the scene be good and that's, you know, I wish we could help with that. Like, I don't know if Ms. Jen, you want to speak to this, but like if somebody who had terrible integrity, who fucks up a lot or who does a lot of damage came to one of my free support groups because they really needed support. 
as long as they weren't harming anyone in that space and they weren't like causing active disruption, I would likely protect their right to get, get an access to that resource because I believe that all people deserve help. And as long as you're not causing any harm and you're just kind of sitting quietly and you're just absorbing, that's something that I want to provide even to a person who is a disrespectful person generally, or who has made a lot of mistakes generally. But in our high protocol space, if somebody comes in who just wants to be in the space but has also caused a lot of damage and harm and who cannot be trusted because their integrity is very, very poor and needs a lot of repair and a lot of work, that person is not going to be welcome in the space until they're ready to be there. We have a higher standard for people um, in the high protocol space. Yeah, 100%. It's a community. It's a community within the community that we're trying to build and not just sort of open to anyone and we want to cultivate that. It's kind of funny, but I feel like requiring higher ethical standards, almost the way that you would if you were constructing a house, like a BDSM house, I feel like that is part of high protocol. And I mentioned earlier that for some reason, I've always had this idea of chivalry and like courtly love and some form of code of conduct being um, inseparable from high protocol. And that's funny because honestly... You could do high protocol and completely have none of those things. You really could. You could say, hey, this is a high protocol party. And what I mean by that is everyone wears suits and dresses and you wear collars and uh, everybody has to kneel if they're told to kneel. And that is the high protocol space. And that's the rules. And you're supposed to say please and thank you. And you should call everybody sir and ma'am. And that is it. Those are the rules of my high protocol space. Peace out. Come into my space and let's do this party. You could totally do that. And honestly, I think even though I might not necessarily enjoy that party or I might not feel like that is jiving with what I want from my high protocol, I think it's a valid thing to call it high protocol. If you really uphold all of those rules, you've created rules, you've created a system, it's imposed on everyone who's in that space and they've agreed to it and it's a different headspace than norm. So technically, I think it qualifies. Is it the safest form of high protocol? Is it the one that honors people the most? Is it going to be fulfilling to everyone there? Does it potentially create um, emotional or mental risk for S-types in that space and maybe D-types as well? You know, um, those are other types of questions concerning the ethical nature of that space or the functionality of that space. But I'm not going to question if that space is high protocol. I'm going to say that for me personally, I want my high protocol to be paired hand in hand with uh, integrity. I want that. And I don't think I'm alone. Obviously, we have a group of people who all care about it. Um, I think that it it's something that goes well with high, structure, high, high protocol and structure. And I'm really proud that that's something that we have folded into our little high protocol revival project community. Um, because... We are open about the fact that we are very inspired by the leather community. Obviously, our code of conduct is basically identical to the leather code of conduct. Um, that's not on accident. We think that the leather community is... Not totally identical. No, not totally, mostly. but it's, it's pretty similar. It's similar because why remake a wheel when the wheel works just fine? I think the leather community is doing something special by having any sort of code of conduct. And I think that there is potentially more regulation going on in that community um, and more of a sense of community amongst people of leather than there is in the BDSM world at large. And I would hate to lose that. And I think that there's something to be said for deliberately um, repeating that and and using that as a structure. So that's that's why we have that there. Um, Last, but certainly not least, the reason that we are doing the High Protocol Revival Project is not just because of high protocol itself, at least for me. Um, The reason that I feel so passionately about the high protocol revival project and high protocol in general is because I believe it's a form of custom and that it's part of the culture of BDSM. And I fear that we see it less and less in BDSM at large around us. I'm afraid that we will actually lose a part of our culture because we're not practicing it. And I really fear that. I fear that I have come into BDSM at a time and that we are in a time uh, for BDSM when what came before, good and bad, is possibly going to be lost to time and lost to memory. 
And I worry a lot about that as a queer person as well, because we lost so many queer elders during the AIDS crisis. And with them, we lost a lot of history. And we, we lost a lot of memory. And a lot of those people overlapped with the kink world as well and with leather. So I feel passionately about preserving parts of our kink and BDSM culture that um, are organic to us that could be done ethically. And it's true that maybe there were things about high protocol in the past that we want to change for the present, but I certainly don't want to lose it. And what we found, you know, publicizing this group and promoting it and, and holding these events is that there is an active interest in the kink world for this thing. There are certainly plenty of people who not only resonate with high protocol, but who resonate with this idea of wanting community and wanting to preserve this part of the culture. Well, I think you're essentially circling right back around to why this project started in the first place. I mean, it's called the High Protocol Revival Project because of our observation that High Protocol and these types of spaces have been really fading out a lot. So yeah, I mean, that's, that was the whole reason why this project even got off the ground. And it's nice that we discovered there were other people who were also interested in reviving it. Otherwise it would just be the three of us sitting in a room. <laughs> but I think it's kind of weird. Cause I don't know if it's because of my position in terms of my age. I'm a millennial. I was born in 1992. I was right on that cusp of the technological boom and on the internet. And I'm able to, to, as I straddle the difference between being in an S type headspace and being in charge of S types when I'm at events, I'm also straddling remembering and valuing things from the past and caring about the important markers and historical like events and people in our past, both in the queer world and in BDSM, which by the way, I'm not an expert on either of those things. I'm just fascinated by them. And I think they're important to remember and to preserve, right? I care about that. And I care about progression and the future. I care about leaving behind things that were harmful. I understand that there are some things that are forgotten or walked away from because they weren't working, but to write off the entire past or to create a a, a rift between all of our community elders and BDSM and all of the newcomers coming in and to say, y'all did it wrong and we're going to remake the whole fucking thing. I think there's a mistake being made there. And I think that it's obvious that there is a rift forming between the older generations of people still alive and practicing BDSM and people who are new coming in. I think it's, it would be a real shame if during this transition and during this upheaval as the internet has changed dramatically the way that BDSM is, it would be a huge shame and a huge mistake to not bridge the gap between people who have been here for a long time and people who are just new to it or coming in. And I really think that the High Protocol Revival Project, even in a small way, is an answer or a bridge to that, to that question of will we lose our history can we, can we save things that need to be saved so that we can still have our culture and so that we don't lose everything that was as, as this new world is built? You know, um, I feel really passionately about it and I, I'm really grateful for that actually because sometimes it can be really exhausting to create organizations and groups like this. You know, um, we don't make a ton of money for high protocol revival or projects. Any. No, we don't. Um, and yet they can be the most fulfilling events to throw. And um, I just, I really recently in particular have just felt a resurgence and a spark of of joy and energy uh, when it comes to working on the High Protocol Revival Project because those people in that space, our community there, um, are kind of the reason why I I can keep doing what we do. When I'm feeling burnt out, it's the people in the High Protocol Revival Project community specifically that often will remind me of why this matters. Um, because I want there to be a space in the kink world that has integrity at its core. And I want there to be a space where people can feel safe enough to explore the unusual. You know, and that's what kink, I think, used to always be for everyone. It was a space where the taboo and the unusual and the, the, the odd and the difficult all were confronted all the time. And 
that's still kind of an option. But sometimes it feels more and more like because there maybe is a lack of integrity or a lack of consistency and feeling of community in the kink world at large. No, no, no. It's easy to get lost in that. I like the idea of creating a space where people can have permission to not have to be so stressed out <laughs> and so stuck in in that sea of of I don't know, like craziness, you know? And to me that's what high protocol can be. That is not all about our high pro- protocol project, but a pretty good overview of high protocol why we have this project, what our project is about, generally speaking. Um, If you want more information about it, especially for those of you in the SoCal area, we do have an email. Um, We are on FET, uh, have a group page and all that. But also you can email us at highprotocolrevival at gmail.com. Just leave the project off of it, basically. you can ask for the manual. You can ask for the vetting form to get started if you haven't yet. We do just ask if you do want the manual, please say where you heard about us. So if you heard about us on this podcast, please indicate that in your the body of your message. And please also know we worked tirelessly, blood, sweat, and tears to make this manual. Please do not steal our manual. If you would like That's to model, all we can do is ask. Yeah, if you'd like to model something off of our manual, integrity. at the very least, yes, have integrity and reach out and contact us. Let us know that you're planning to do something like that, or you'd like to reference our manual, and absolutely make sure that if you use anything from our manual, um, that not only have you gotten consent from us, but that you are crediting us. Because again, we worked really hard on this, so please, please, as we give it to you in good faith. Treat us with good faith and treat us with respect. Please don't, don't, don't steal from us. Um, and uh, beyond that, if you're curious about joining the High Protocol Revival or you want to maybe consider starting a chapter in your area or you're just kind of wondering, like, how do I incorporate this into my life? Uh, check us out uh, on FetLife. As she said, we do advertise for our online groups and for our immersions. Um, and if you are long distance, but you think you can make it to a party and you want to engage in the long distance process for vetting, reach out and let us know that too. We, we would love to help you with that. The High Protocol group page is on FetLife or you can find it through going to my profile, Lost and Found One, L-O-S-T, the letter N, F-O-U-N-D, the number one, no spaces. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us uh, today. We hope to see some of you who are listening at our next immersion. and uh, Keep it classy. <laughs> keep it fancy. <laughs> keep it fancy. Keep it fancy and very high protocol. <laughs> we'll see you next time here on Gay is for Kinky. Be well, precious kinklings. Bye. Bye. Bye.